It's the high school football game of the week. Listen, man. Tonight is the night. Then make the night for yourself. Not one, but two of the best games in the triad every Friday. All comes down to today. Catch the action on WTOB 980 AM and 96.7 FM. Who got my back? Or tune in to our second game on WCOG 1320 AM. Both games powered by TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com, your home for triad sports. Season begins August the 20th. Nobody out in the first and didn't score. Second and third, one out in the second and didn't score. Smith, Corks went into right down the line. It may go. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. It's a home run, and the Cardinals have won the game. Welcome to The Score. Here's your host, Brett Wiseman. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of The Score with Brett Wiseman here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman alongside the one and only James Wilson and J-Dub. The Field of Dreams game Thursday night was as as epic as and, and as beautiful as I expected it to be, but... As for the game itself, there could not have been a more exciting, a more thrilling game to watch than than what we got. You know, one of the things I want to touch on before we even talk about the actual game was the broadcast. Do you know what I mean? Yes, the- Fox Fox did a fantastic right. job with the the score bug, the lower thirds graphics. Even their logo in the top right corner had a bit of a marbling, a marled look to it. Everything about what Fox did with their broadcast presentation made it even better. You know, I I think and I hope, and I'm I'm not sure if they mentioned this during the broadcast and I just missed it. I I hope this becomes a recurring thing. Um, And I'm not going to lie to you, Brett. I hope this is something that you earn. Now, I don't know exactly how we would do that. Maybe we'll take each division winner, put them in a raffle, and then each division winner, maybe we'll have one one American League team play, one National League team uh, for some interleague play uh, at the Field of Dreams. I think that'd be cool, but I don't think this is something we should take away from, right? This is the first time we've ever been able to finally do it. This is something that I think you have been looking forward to probably since the movie came out. This is something I've been looking forward to since I got into the game of baseball. So it's safe to say this is something people want. But I think let's definitely know, not say, oh, we're going to have the All-Star game here. We're going to have one of the Game of the World Series here. What we need to do is we need to look at it the way we look at specialty jerseys in other sports, right? It's only great because we don't get it all the time. Like you and I are Cardinals fans. If we wore powder blue every single day, it wouldn't have that same value. And this is the same thing with this field. Look, Major League Baseball 
Rob Manfred, to, to get to your first point, Rob Manfred did say before this one that they are 100% coming back next year. They just haven't decided on teams. And remember, they've still got a there's still a, a London series supposedly scheduled for next year that, that that's got to happen. So um, the Cardinals and Cubs were supposed to play in that in 2020. Um, but for the first Major League game to be played in Iowa, look, Major League Baseball literally built a stadium from scratch in what was a maze of corn on the other side of the movie set. I mean, if you saw the drone shots, the, the only reason they didn't do it on the original movie set is because there was not room for seating or bullpens or dugouts or anything of the sort. They built that stadium from scratch, and the coolest thing about it was none of the fans, none of the players even, could see the field until they went through a corn maze in the shape of the Major League Baseball logo. Hmm. When they came out of that corn maze, that was the first time anyone had seen the actual stadium in person. It was specifically designed so you could not see it over the corn. Corn. It was the first time we're talking about corn on your show, Brett. Yes. Look, oh, At least there's this much energy. There's, there's, there's puns coming. Trust me. Absolutely. Uh, let, let's get to the to. I, I want to say this first. Um, you're right. This is one of my favorite movies. Not just baseball movies. Favorite movies. Period. Right. Not just because of the baseball aspect of it, but because of. I mean. My dad and I have always talked about this. Baseball is kind of a backstory, so to speak, to this movie. It's more about the father-son rekindling of a relationship. Absolutely. And, that movie is not a baseball movie in the slightest. And my father and I have always had a, a very special relationship, specifically when it comes to baseball. And the fact that I got to enjoy that with him and discuss that with him last night and the way the game played out, it almost brings a tear to my eye because how can you not get romantic about baseball? What Major League Baseball did with this, number one, on a night when you had the Patriots and their quarterback battle and all that publicity, to cut through the clutter and have probably the highest rated regular season game on Fox in 15 years, I mean... It, it, it makes me a little bit emotional because of how much I love this sport and how amazingly this was pulled off. I mean, the open with Kevin Costner, uh, the players coming out of the cornfield uh, to the field, the way the field was set up, the seating. I mean, it, everything about it was just absolutely fantastic. Um, let's get to the game itself which began at about 7.15 Eastern time, 6 o'clock Central. Jose Abreu, there were eight home runs in this game. So the one thing Major League Baseball might need to look at is maybe we need to look at the dimensions. But it was Iowa. It was Midwestern humidity, so the ball was going to be jumping regardless. Um, There are a lot of strikeouts, too. Lance Lynn starting for the White Sox. Lance Lynn very well could have played in field in the Field of Dreams film, because all he does is come out of corn and pump fastballs by people. Uh, Aaron Judge then said hello. 
after Jose Abreu hit the first ever home run in Iowa in the bottom of the first inning, Aaron Judge went deep at the top of the second. Yankees led 3-1 to one at that point. Tim Anderson RBI double made it 3-2 in the first non-home run RBI hit of the night. Eloy Jimenez went opposite field. White Sox led 5-3 after three innings. Uh, Sebi Zavala, who no one had heard of until last night, hit a two-run homer. Uh, Chicago led 7-3, heading to the fifth. Uh, New York's bullpen started getting loose. Andrew Heaney was getting knocked around. Um, he sailed by at 75 pitches to the sixth inning. We went, wham, another home up. Brett Gardner, um, four of the five home runs to that point were to right field. Uh, Lance Lynn was done after that. Michael Kopech came in to a 7-4 ball game with no outs in the 6th and held that up uh, through that 6th that inning, got out of it. Um, and then we go to the top of the ninth inning where things get really interesting. After Aaron Brummer and Craig Kimbrell came in and got the White Sox out of Two really difficult situations where the tying run came to the plate. 9.35 Central, 10.35 Eastern Time. Uh, just what it looked like the game was over. Liam Hendricks is in. Aaron Judge launches his second home run of the game into the corn in right center field. Uh, that made it a one-run game. Joey Gallo walked, so he's the tying run at first base. And then John Carlos Stanton rips one just over the fence in left field. Yankees take an 8-7 lead. Joe Buck's call of that, by the way, was pretty exciting. Um, as was his call of what I will now call the stalk-off. Because corn stalks. <laughs> uh, Tim Anderson, the walk-off home run to right field, and he knew it as soon as it was off the bat. And John Smoltz talked about this on the broadcast the Yankee closer, Zach Britton, is a sinker ball pitcher by trade. Tim Anderson is a top five low ball hitter in the sport. He got a sinker middle away, not quite at the bottom of the zone, but to the point where Tim Anderson could drive it, drove it the other way, knew it right off the bat, and started pulling the Vince Carter hand motions out. It was over. I mean, there's no better way that could have ended, especially then a combined six runs in just the ninth inning to finish it 9-8. Absolutely. That was exactly what I wanted, and I'm not going to lie to you. I think that's going to be part of the game. I don't think dimensions are going to be something that's going to change. Uh, I don't know what center line is. I don't know if we have those measurements pulled up. But Well, what Major League Baseball tried to do was recreate or, or, or get it as close to Old Comiskey Park, where the 1909, 1919 excuse me, White Sox played, which is, of course, the central point of the movie. 335 down the line, 385 to the gaps, 400 to dead center, but it did not play like that at all. Well, if the dimensions are there, I mean, I mean the dimensions are there. And, 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 and that's what you're going to have. Some fields are going to be better than others. And it wasn't the only game, Brett, that had... It, I mean, an impressive amount of runs scored. No, we had a, we had a football score the night before that. We had the uh, Patriots defeating the bucket. I mean, the Red Sox defeating the Rays twenty to seven, and then we had the uh, nineteen ninety four to twenty nineteen Oakland Ray. I mean, the Oakland Athletics defeating the Cleveland. I mean, the Cleveland Indians seventeen to nothing. So 
yeah, we got runs all over the place. And then, look, we need a documentary about this. We need a 30 for 30. We need, Fox needs to do something on FS1 or with their Fox Sports films. We, we got to do something here, all right? This night. I mean, it just happened. I'm pretty sure we all remember. This night, an all-time classic in the most classic of settings. It just had everything we love about this sport, the, the timeless aspect of it. This game, not only being the first at the Field of Dreams, but just how it played out is going to live on for years and years to come. People who were there are going to tell their kids and grandkids about it. I was at the first game of the Field of Dreams, yada, yada. Those 8,000-some-odd people that were there and everyone, that the millions that watched, I don't think the ratings are back in, but they're going to be huge. On a night when the NFL had its first preseason games in 750-some-odd days, for MLB to cut through the clutter, so to speak, and, and pull off the kind of event that they did, it is the first time I will ever give Rob Manfred any credit whatsoever because this was as big of a success as it possibly have could, could, could have been. Yeah, I'm excited to see what becomes of this. I think this is, uh, hopefully this is going to be the new normal. I, I, I really expect that this is going to be the field that they're going to use. And obviously they're not going to build it on accident and then only use it for a couple of years. So right, I mean, this, this, is this, is, this is a permanent stadium. I mean, travel ball teams are probably going to use this. You know, that this is minor league teams maybe. I mean, that this is a permanent spot. And I, I think what, the, what Major League Baseball will probably shoot for is some Midwestern teams and teams with historical significance. Um, so we'll see what, what comes of it. And... This is a specialty event for Major League Baseball. They've done games in London. They've done they did the Little League Classic with the Cardinals and Pirates, where they played in Williamsport. Um, that was the only other time I'll ever give Rob Manfred any credit whatsoever. Um, that was a brilliant idea. They've had you know specialty games before games in Mexico, games in Puerto Rico, games in the Dominican Republic, but the significance of this to baseball fans everywhere in this country and around the world and the millions upon millions that tuned into this and got more than what they bargained for in terms of one of the all-time classic regular season games ever um i can't i can't say enough it's it's it was just absolutely fantastic as for the rest of major league baseball um speaking of those red Sox and tampa bay rays that AL East is starting to heat up, and as big a lead as the Red Sox had, their starting pitching has been struggling, and their bullpen has been struggling even more. They can't get the offense going until the other night when they put up 20, uh, but they're now five games back of the Tampa Bay Rays, who are 25 games over 500. They won game number 70 on Wednesday night. Off on Thursday. The Yankees are seven back. Toronto is seven and a half back. But all those teams are well within reach of the wild card. Oakland, who's a game and a half back of Houston, started to catch the Houston asterisk. I mean, the Astros. Um, 
They've got a two-game advantage on Boston for the number one wild card spot. And then you look at the crowded field behind Boston. New York two back, Toronto two and a half back. The Seattle Mariners, who are six games over at 61 and 55, are four and a half back. What a story that would be. The Los Angeles Angels at 500 are seven and a half back. And of all people, the Detroit Tigers are only nine back at three games under 500. A team that... Literally, probably wasn't going to try. Um, as for the NL East, that's even tighter. Um, and there's a team with regional significance to us. The Atlanta Braves won back at Philadelphia, who beat the Mets yesterday uh, to take a half-game lead on them. But, I mean, look at these records. They're almost identical. Phillies five games over, 66, 60 and 55. And then you've got... New York and Atlanta both with 59 wins. Atlanta has one more loss. Therefore, they're a half game back of the Mets. But the moves that all those teams made at the trade deadline and what the Nationals did separated those three from the rest. And now we we got a three-team dogfight, and it's going to be fun. Yeah, I'm pretty excited to see all this stuff coming down to the wire. The entire MLB is... Really heating up. I mean, this is better than a lot of the uh, previous couple of years' playoff races, for sure. And we, we've got some good matchups on the ledger uh, this weekend, the most fun of which probably going to be Dodgers and Mets um, from Flushing, Queens. Um, we talked about the Mets situation. The NL West, we've talked about a lot. Um, LA's five back of San Francisco, and I've maintained that if by some miracle the Cardinals can't get into that wild card spot, L.A. and San Diego, whoever finishes second and third in the NL West is going to play in that wild card game. Um, St. Louis is six and a half back. Atlanta is six back of that. The Mets are five and a half back. Cincinnati's three and a half back. But as good as both of those L.A. and San Diego are, and then San Francisco's 74 and 41, best record in Major League Baseball, um, Going to be hard to catch them, but Dodgers bats definitely the class of the weekend schedule for sure. Uh, Blue Jays Mariners another one to keep an eye on. Two surging teams that not a lot of people expected to make a ton of noise. Um, that's going to be fun as well. Reds Phillies I think is the other one to keep an eye on. Absolutely, no. There's a lot of cool matchups coming up. With that, we're going to take a break. We've got some uh, important NFL news to get to. As that aforementioned QB battle heats up in New England, we'll talk Mac Jones, we'll talk preseason schedule for the weekend, and we'll talk Panthers after this. Football on the score. Welcome to Jay Pepper's Southern Grill, locally owned and operated, serving the Kernsville community for over 10 years. Delicious homemade Southern food with a menu with a little something for everyone. For daily lunch and dinner specials, you can't go wrong choosing Jay Pepper's, home of the nest with East Forsyth head coach Todd Willard every Tuesday night at 7.30 p.m. live during the season. Plus, Wine Wednesday with half-price wine all day and live music every Thursday night. Come join the fun at Jay Pepper's Southern Grill, 841 Old Winston Road in Kernersville. Call in your order now at 336-497-4727. Back here on the score with Brett Wiseman here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman alongside the one and only James Wilson. J-Dub, for the first time in 
I lost count of how many days we got NFL preseason games. Um, three happened um, after recording, so we don't have the scores of those yet. Um, we do have New England and the Washington football team. Mac Jones made his debut, um, competing with Cam Newton for the starting t- uh, QB job. Looked really, really good from what I saw in the highlights. Because of course, I was locked in on the Field of Dreams game and helped out in the Winston-Salem Dash. Um, with their game against the Grasshoppers, which, of course, a White Sox affiliate, so we were keeping tabs on the Field of Dreams game in the booth. But New England won that one 22-13. Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, not a whole lot meaningful happening there. Uh, 24-16, the final there. But there's a ton of games on the ledger today on this Saturday. NFL Network's got a triple header for you, folks. Miami and Chicago. At 1 o'clock, you got Tua. Don't know how many snaps he's going to get, but then, of course, you've got Justin Fields making his debut with the Chicago Bears, and Bears fans think he's the savior in the second coming of Christ. We'll see how that works out. Um, Denver, Minnesota at 4. That should be fun. Trey Lance making his debut. New Orleans and Baltimore. And then the 7 o'clock triple header cap. To the NFL Network, Trevor Lawrence makes his debut uh, with the Jacksonville Jaguars. They'll host the Cleveland Browns. You've got Jets Giants Battle of New York. You've got Cincy and Tampa. Joe Burrow might play. We don't know for sure. Uh, we got Casey and San Fran. Um, you got another debut coming in that one. Um, Houston and Green Bay. We'll see if Deshaun Watson even plays. Aaron Rodgers is not going to play pretty much at all. Um, this preseason. So uh, Jordan Love's going to see the majority of the snaps, and I think that's the right thing to do because he never had it in the normal preseason last year. Uh, as for the Panthers, had a joint practice Thursday afternoon with the Indianapolis Colts, and from all indications, that joint practice was dominated by the Carolina Panthers, uh, who on NFL Network at 1 o'clock on Sunday uh, will face the Indianapolis Colts. So we'll see Sam Darnold in the Panthers uniform for the first time. Uh, but we might want to temper expectations as as to what we might see. But, hey, we got debuts to watch this weekend. Um, this is going to be fun. Yeah, I, I think you've got to be careful if you're a Carolina Panthers fan. You don't want to get your uh, put all your eggs in one basket. And Sam Darnold may not be the answer. And part of the fun of of, of – being a Panthers fan is we'll remember you draft a bad quarterback, you suck, you just draft another one the next year. It's, uh, that's the formula. Sam Darnold, he's going to get a couple years chances, but uh, again, that's the thing is he might be great uh, right off the bat. He might not, but he's going to get a fair chance. He's going to get a, a, a rebirth, so to speak, uh, getting removed from the New York Jets. So it's important that we definitely keep that in mind. It's important that the Panthers fans – are uh, realistic with what they're going to expect. And they're probably going to be right around where they were last year, but you're going to look for the improvements, not necessarily in the win column, but in the other columns as well. Right. And, and there's a lot of things that Matt rule is trying to do uh, to make this team better. Um, And I, I think that he's doing a lot of good things in camp specifically. So, I mean, it is, it's tough to put, uh, 
a marker on where this might go, especially with Sam Darnold. DJ Moore's jersey is popping up everywhere, so he's the number one receiver, definitely. Robbie Anderson is, I, I think, going to have a bigger breakout year this year, but this first preseason game, I think, is going to be telling of, of how this team is going to play stylistically. Um, because Sam Darnold has not had any actual game snaps, I think he's going to play a fair amount. Um with with the first team offense, so there's going to be a lot of eyeballs in in this area specifically on what that team could do offensively in in the first quarter, and then I think a lot of people are going to tune out. But it is going to be very very important to see what Carolina could do offensively in in the first few series of that game because that's the first time we'll see Sam Darnold in game action with the first team offense. Yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of uh, RPOs. You're going to see quite a bit of shorthand passes. Um, and you might even see a couple uh, uh, just chips over to the to a uh, runner. I, I think you're going to see a dynamic offense, uh, not not too heavily reliant on running. And when they do decide to run, I feel like they're going to try and cram it up the middle rather than do anything kind of crazy. Uh, it's going to take a lot of pressure off Sam Darnold, and this is something I've always said. And 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 it's funny because Brett once mentioned this when we were playing Madden is that I like to take the game out of the quarterback's hands. And that's exactly what I would say is is good um, for a team that has a brand-new quarterback, a young quarterback, who could end up being one of your weak points within the offense. And when, and, when, when you have a 1-2 running back punch of McCaffrey who can do everything outside right. of the backfield, and then you got Mike Davis as your power back, I mean, that does take a lot of the pressure off of Sam Darnold. And with the Jets under Adam Gase... I mean, he had to wear about 18 different hats back there, and you wonder why he saw ghosts. Because, I mean, he had to do everything and more in that backfield. But what Matt Rule is doing, bringing in this college-style, so to speak, offense, I'm interested to see how Sam Darnold plays it uh, signal-wise pre-snap and how mobile he is if he's asked to run. We know he was asked to run at USC and did a pretty darn good job of it, but um, we'll see what can happen. We'll see how they get McCaffrey involved in the short pass game. We'll see what they do with Davis. Uh, I'm expecting a good mix of run-pass, though, because everybody needs reps. Absolutely. I I, 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 uh, I think you, you are right, run-pass, but um, I, I think the offense ultimately will end up uh, transitioning to a, a a primarily running offense to start the season off because we have seen teams before uh, try out one thing, maybe win a handful of those games over the over a small stretch. And keep in mind, we have one extra game this year uh, from now. Yep, on and forward. we have we have one less preseason game this year, and then we've got one more regular season game. So. Everybody's got to change their fantasy football drafts, too, because uh, there's only three preseason games. Also, if you draft your fantasy league before the preseason is over, you're an idiot because people will get hurt. Just just, just saying. Uh, famously, I, I, I don't play fantasy football. I've played multiple other fantasy sports, and I think I'm retired from that industry altogether. Well, other than fantasy basketball, because that's the one sport you know the most about, but 
And I still finished like second to last in our league last year, Brett. Let's not you, forget. You played fantasy hockey as a literal placeholder and won the dang league. So I don't want to hear it. <laughs> that was on accident. <laughs> exactly. That's why I don't want to hear it. Shut up. Uh, First game with fans in Las Vegas Saturday night as well. That ought to be fun. Awesome. Um I mean, that, that stadium, we talked about it a few times, the Death Star, as I like to call it. It's a shame that there couldn't be people there last year for the opener, but that is a magnificent piece of engineering, and we know how loyal Raider Nation is. We'll finally get to see what the Las Vegas Raider Nation looks like uh, in Allegiant Stadium at full capacity. Just as strong. Just as strong. I'm telling you, it's just as strong. These Oakland fans, these L.A. fans... They've been preparing for this one. I think it's going to be um, not a sellout, but it's going to be damn close. And I think this is going to be one of the best games the Raiders have. And I, I'm excited for them. I think they deserve this. It's a market that I uh, myself have uh, – I've always thought they should be looking at for sports. I want them to build a Formula One track out there. I think that would be really sick. But that is a underrated sports market. We've seen what the um, – Golden Knights have been able to do, but please, 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 for the love of God, stop acting like Las Vegas is not a real sports market. It totally is. I've said this for the longest time. Las Vegas deserves a Major League Baseball franchise. I mean, yeah, they've got the AAA team, but that's a market that more than deserves at least an MLB or an NBA expansion team. One or the other. NBA is more likely, but yeah. Look, that they're crazy about basketball as well. They have the summer league there every year. So yeah, you've got the, the exp- they had the all-star game there in 2007. I mean, there's definitely exposure, but uh, as far as the Las Vegas section of Raider nation, as you said, a lot of those Oakland and, and uh, Los Angeles fans uh, are, have either moved there with the team or still root for them and might make the trip. It's not like it's that far uh, from that, from Southern or Northern California. It's just, a handful of hours, so a lot of folks might be making the trip uh, down there. But I mean, how about this? You're going to have fans in there at full capacity for the first time. Uh, the The Gold Cup final between USA and Mexico was the first time that place was ever at full capacity. It was loud. So imagine what it's like on a game day, even in the preseason, when Raider Nation is down your back. I mean, as an offense, that could be scary. Yeah, I'm not I'm not looking forward to, and luckily I don't play in the National Football League, but that is a field I'm definitely not looking forward to. Um, and I'm also not ever looking forward to having to be a road team in Lambeau. I think you're going to see a pretty – I think that is going to be the field. Uh, I think that is going to be the field that marks the 2021-22 and see, that's uh, and that's the other thing to talk about is, you know, there there was n- not really any home field advantages, so to speak, uh, because of the the lack of attendance. The teams that had fans in limited capacity last year definitely had an advantage. Uh, that's probably the coolest thing about Madden is that in this case, it's not just a copy and paste of Madden thirteen point seven. Um, in Madden 22, each team has a distinct home field advantage that makes it harder to do certain things. In right. Seattle, if you pull up the play art, it starts shaking 
because the fans are so loud in Seattle, as we know. At Lambeau, you lose stamina and traction because it's cold and it's the frozen tundra and it's loud. Um, every team, every team's got a specific home field advantage that you lose certain attributes along the way um, that make it harder to win, and that is as realistic as it gets. But this season, in real life, in the NFL, even in the preseason. These stadiums are going to be loud, and it is going to be a completely different world from what we experienced in 2020. Absolutely. The reason I bring up Lambo, though, is because I think this is a field that knows exactly what's at stake here, and that's losing your generational quarterback. I think most Packers fans um, would rather have Aaron Rodgers in the short term than get Jordan Love, even if they knew that Jordan Love may be some generational talent, which I do not think he necessarily is. I think I don't think so either, but... I think it's the right thing to keep Aaron Rodgers on the sideline for the preseason. A, don't risk injury. B, Jordan Love did not have a preseason at all last year. And for yeah, most of the reg- yeah. for most of the regular season didn't dress as a backup because he had no game snaps. So he's gonna play the majority of these games. Third string quarterback uh, Kurt Kurt Bedcart is gonna play probably midway through the third, later in the fourth, but Jordan Love is gonna get a lot of reps that he sorely needs because he did not have a preseason in 2020. Absolutely. I just think Lambeau wants to keep their generational guy, and uh, they're going to be loud. They're going to be crazy. I think that's going to be the field to play in. Whether it's in September or or later on in the year, as you and I well know, Packers fans are are about as passionate as it gets, and when that place is full... They're they're mental, for sure. it's 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 one of the best environments in all the NFL. It's also uh, a nice field. It is it is the cathedral, the mecca of professional football. When we come oh, back, okay. When we come back, we'll talk about college football, um, and there's a lot to get to there regionally. We'll preview things next. Back here on The Score with Brett Wiseman on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman alongside the world-famous James Wilson. J-Dub, we are now three weeks to the day away from the first Saturday of college football. Mm-hmm. It, it almost feels surreal, and we're going to get full seasons from everybody. Hopefully no COVID postponements. Hopefully all these teams are vaccinated in the NFL as well. Um, but remains to be seen um the usa today coaches poll is out i do i will not put any stock in espn stop 25 because that was not objective in any way shape or form even though it was supposed to be the coaches poll from actual coaches was more objective than that um alabama naturally number one clemson naturally number two oklahoma spencer rattler coming back at quarterback there's number three ohio state four georgia five your texas a&m aggies at six Notre Dame, 7. Iowa State, a surprising 8. USC, or excuse me, UNC. They're going to shoot me for that. Uh, Sam Howell. I hate Chapel Hill fans, too. Sam Howell, Mac Brown. They get overranked and more at number 9. Cincinnati, though. The first ever group of five school to be in the top 10 in a preseason poll of any kind. Coaches or AP, either. They're at number 10, Florida 11, Oregon 12, LSU 13, USC 
14, Wisconsin 15, Miami, who App State plays at in week two, uh, 16, uh, Indiana 17, uh, defending Big Ten West champion, Iowa 18, Texas at 19, Penn State 20, Washington 21, Oklahoma State 22. Brett, hold on. This is where it gets very weird. How so? Well, I'm going to let you handle this because this is naturally your sports conference. But these next two are not even close to accurate, nor do they deserve to be here, especially over a team that I'd say you're very familiar with. I'm reasonably familiar with. But I'll let you take it from here. Well, the disrespect to App State is real in this case. Louisiana, <laughs> Louisiana 23, Coastal 24. Yes, they won their respective divisions in the Sun Belt. But people seem to forget that Appalachian State has won this conference for in the last five years. So, I don't want to hear it. The, App State still is the cream of the crop in this conference. But it's good that there's competition because it makes the Sun Belt as a whole look better. Uh, Ole Miss uh, rounds it out at 25. Notable teams that received some votes. Uh, Utah Northwestern missed it by just a little bit. NC State got some votes. 27 to be exact. Arizona State, Auburn, Liberty got some votes. Um, UCF as well. But uh, this is a deep and diverse and I think... Paradise mm-hmm. uh, field in college football this year, which is a more than a good thing. It's an entertaining prediction. It, it, it's one, you know, and obviously, let's look at the top six again real quick. Uh, A&M, Georgia, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Clemson, Alabama. Who cares? Absolutely, who cares? In fact, let's throw in Notre Dame in that one as well. Uh, obviously, I'm a Texas A&M fan. They're going to be good at college football. What a freaking surprise. Alabama, good at college football. Who cares? I mean, trust me, I'm a fan of this team. I'm glad they're good, whatever. But those teams, of course, they're good. But when we look at these Iowa States, North Carolina, Cincinnati, which is awesome, that's a very good school. They got a really good medical program. One of my um, best friends is looking to go in there, and they went up there to tour. And the first thing they talk about is saying, like, we, we, we work hard, but we also play hard. They showed the football field. They let you go on the football field. It's actually one of the best fields they described to me in college football. So it's good to see these programs in the mix. Oregon is a team that's very on and off. We haven't been good since what? What was the guy? Um, didn't Mariota play for them? Yep. And they you made know? the national championship game against Cam Newton and Auburn. Right. And, and, and then you're going to get back to some more you know, grounded teams. Louisiana State, of course, they're good. Southern California, they're one of the more underrated college football programs in the country. Nobody really gives them the due credit, usually because they produce a lot of NFL duds. But here's the thing. Southern California doesn't care how their NFL players do because they're not an NFL team. And, 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 but these lower teams are the ones to get excited about. Indiana, Iowa, Penn State, Washington. Iowa State at eight. I mean, that. see what they do. The first game last year, they lost to Louisiana. So. Right. Um, and, and these snubs, too. These snubs are going to be the ones that's really going to get people going. Uh, Appalachian State feels that they've been snubbed. And, Brett, you know way more about college football than I do. And I'd say, you know, I'm, I'm reasonably knowledgeable. It just shows just how much you exactly know. There are about 10 programs that feel that they should have been on here. Um, and obviously, we probably can't name all of those off the top of our heads. But there are multiple programs who feel 
they don't think they should have had a chance to be on here. They think they should be on here. In these first two, three weeks, that's going to be their proving grounds where they're going to say, hey, look, we, we want to be on there, and we're going to be on there. Yeah, 100%. I, I don't think you could have put that any better. Um, let's look at the ACC schedule, shall we? This should be fun. Uh, aforementioned NC State on September the 2nd on Thursday. Uh, they'll host South Florida. Eh. Uh, the real game to keep an eye on, Duke, Charlotte, Old Dominion, Wake Forest. Those take place Saturday, September the – or excuse me, Friday, September 3rd. The game to watch – 6 o'clock, Friday night, September the 3rd, Blacksburg, Virginia, full capacity, enter Sandman, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, ninth-ranked Tar Heels, Virginia Tech back to full capacity. We know how loud and how rowdy Lane Stadium can get. One of the best home field advantages in the ACC and in the country. Um, mark that one down. That's a game that a lot of people have had circled, um, and it's finally going to come to fruition uh, three weeks from yesterday. You know, one of the teams I'm excited to see um, going in and playing a ACC team is actually going to be a UAB. I- I'm excited to see exactly what they're going to be able to do against some of these programs. And I'm, I'm excited to see because that's, that's a team, and they're also going to be playing a, a couple of your uh, Sun Belt teams as well. But this is a program that I think can take off. And this is a program that I'm, 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 Give it 10, 20 years, they might be in this poll. They might be in this top 25. They might win a couple uh, conference titles and make a couple bowl games and really have an impact. And, you know, you and I have talked about this more so than most other sports. College football is becoming quickly one of the more, and it's just like you said, one of the more paradise uh, out of all the sports. College basketball is starting to become a little. Uh, it's a bubble, and you're either inside the bubble or you're outside the bubble, and very few uh, transitioning is happening between those two periods. Uh, but college football, I don't want to say the playing field is being leveled as much as some of these programs that were, uh, I don't want to say this in, in, in any sort of uh, mocking way, but it's seen as inferior or lower, are now being given the chance to play these programs and say, hey, we're not inferior or lower. You never, get, you never put us on your schedule. And that's that's a that's a thing that I think you and I have seen across some of the sports teams we've played for, just semi-pro. Um, some of the sports teams that you and I are fans of is that when you don't give a team a chance to play the big dogs because you're afraid of playing that small team because they just might beat you, a la App State in Michigan, you are going to have these moments where you say, "Oh my God, this team that would have been 30th on the pole, 40th on the pole, they're not wait, they're not that bad." the separation between these programs is far closer than we ever gave them a chance to realize. And there's a lot of teams outside of, you know, who we put the most amount of headlines on that they're, they're going to make some noise. Syracuse even. Uh, Syracuse, I think, is going to be really, really good. Um, other games to keep an eye on that are going to be a lot of fun. Alabama and Miami. Um Miami gets App State the week after that. So it's not easy for them right off the bat. Uh, Syracuse goes at Ohio. They get their taste of Maction. Um, Georgia Tech goes Northern Illinois. Georgia Clemson uh, in Charlotte, Saturday, September the 4th. Uh, the back half of the Dukes Mayo Classics, plural. Uh, we'll get to the other one in a second. 
Uh, that's happening that Saturday night. Uh, the regular national TV Sunday nighter the first week, Notre Dame at Florida State. That's going to be fun. Labor Day night, neutral site, Louisville and Ole Miss. That'll be fun as well. A lot of really good non-conference matchups uh, in the ACC to take a look at. But we'd be remiss if we did not talk about the most important game regionally uh, in Week 1, and that's App State and ECU in Charlotte uh, three weeks from Thursday, September the 2nd. Um, both schools expecting 30,000-plus from each of their respective fan bases, so 60,000-plus are expected. And when you throw the, the casuals uh, in there that have no rooting interest, that are just going to a, a, a what's going to be a very, very good college football game, um, expect a, a close to a, close to 70,000, close to a sellout at Bank of America Stadium, which will be turf, by the way, for the first time ever. You know, it's it, I, I'm excited for this. I don't know what the official title of the game is. I'm going to put in my poll. Uh, I the, Dukes, poll. the Dukes-Mayo Classic. Oh, the Dukes-Mayo Classic. I think it should be the white Battle of the White Kids, um, considering the two schools that are going to be oh, playing. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. It's the Battle of the White Kids. Come on, guys. Come on. You know me. Y'all know I love my HBCUs, and you know App and, App and ECU, Battle of the White Kids. I'm sorry. But if you guys think for a second, and I'm not just saying this because Brett went to Appalachian. He, ha- he has that, that famed degree from Appalachian State University. I genuinely think this. ECU's football program has been on a downward spiral. Um, I'd say they're coming up in the hockey world, which I've seen them play personally. You and I have both seen them. Really good jerseys. Pretty pretty darn good hockey club. <laughs> but, exa- but that's the thing is this is a market that Appalachian feels is their second home. They've come to Charlotte many times and played a certain program. Well, maybe Concord, if you will. Yes, um, the University of Concord. Right, exactly. But this is exactly what I'm saying is that this is a market they feel so incredibly comfortable in because they have repeatedly sunned the University of Charlotte, who came in swinging and said, we're going to be the next App State. We're going to be this team. Well, first, we've got to beat them. And one, you've already been sunned if you want to say, I want to be you. And then they go and beat you, and you have yet to beat them twice in a way that matters. So this is exactly what Appalachian State needs for a classic game, especially against a rival that many would consider bigger and better than them. This is These are two programs that, as closely as they can compare this group of five schools, have not played each other in a very, very long time. So 1912 was the last time they played uh, each other. Something like that. I don't even mm-hmm. think Jerry Moore was born yet. And uh, well, Joseph wasn't alive. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Moore's getting his statue unveiled uh, at the home <laughs> opener. So, yeah. His, he wasn't even born. He wasn't even a thought yet in his yeah. parents' mind the last time these two teams played. That's how long ago it feels like. Some of those NC State wins that our, uh, one of our good friends likes to bring up. No, yeah, NC State beat the the we College of 1933. The College of Barton in 1908, 65-2. <laughs> yeah, Drew, nobody cares. Uh Love you Drew, love you to death. Shout out. Uh anyways, let's stay on topic. 60% of App State's alumni base is in Charlotte. The first time those two schools played each other at Charlotte's on-campus stadium, UNCC had to add 5,000 temporary seats just for App State fans. So this is a market that App State feels like they own. 
in terms of fans, in terms of recruiting, that UNC Charlotte came in and said, we're going to take both of those. We're going to take all your good recruits from Charlotte, and we're going to take all your fans, which they've done neither of. And then you go to the other end of the state, ECU, um, they've got about as passionate a fan base as it comes in a lot of sports, um, football being the most of those. So you've got two of the most passionate fan bases in this region of college football. And it's going to be insanely, insanely fun. And if the, I think it's going to be telling, too, for, for both team seasons. Because you look at where App State goes after this game. They go at Miami. Uh, and then they've got Elon at home. And then they go into conference play. So you got two really tough games right off the hop here. Um, if This is almost a must win for App State. Because if you lose this one, um, it might be tough to get to the 10-win mark that you have to set for yourself to have a chance at, at a New Year's Six Bowl, at the very least, um, as, as a Group of Five program. Um, East Carolina hasn't been to a bowl game since Obama was president, um, I think. I don't remember. That was also an eternity ago. But if ECU loses this game, uh, they got a pretty tough schedule outside of that. Plus, the conference they play in, they play the same conference as Cincinnati, Houston, Memphis, and UCF right. uh, for the best group of five programs out there. Uh, so that's going to be tough. And then, of course, App's got Louisiana, Coastal, and, and, and Georgia Southern, which is not neither, none of those three are easy. Brent, but I get... in ECU's case, it might be tough for them to get to six wins to get bowl eligible if they lose this game. This is a game that both teams have had marked, have had circled, and I think both have to view as a must-win for, you know, telling a momentum for the rest of their seasons, respectively. For sure, Brett. I want to get, and I know this is way too early, but you know, to round off the show before we get up and ended here, who is winning the national title this year? I have my pick. I can say it first if you'd like, um, but who is winning the national title this year? I'm going to go with a shocker. Okay. Oklahoma beats Georgia in the national championship game. I like that. I really do like that pick. I didn't know who I would say they would beat, um, and I still don't know exactly who would be able to get there. Jordan, both them, both I, those teams have the most returning starters among the top five in the coaches' poll and two of the best quarterbacks in the nation. I just, I just think Spencer Rattler in his second year – uh, in that offense is going to go nuts and put up some video game type numbers, and that's going to lead Oklahoma to a title. I think Notre Dame's got it. Wow. Okay. Okay. They're going to they're going to finally get back on top. Notre Dame been the first time in God how long? I, I I don't know. I think Touchdown Jesus was still alive or still walking the earth. He had not yet ascended. Uh. Or was not yet. Jesus was still alive. Yes. Holy moly. That's crazy. That is crazy. I mean, I, 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 you know what? I like your pick better than I like my own. I'm not gonna lie. I, I, I'm not gonna take mine back because obviously it's the way too early. We're not. There's no accountability on this. But I like this show was built on hot takes. Damn it. That is true. We used to have this segment, but nobody wanted to sponsor it. Yes, uh, any hot sauces or wing joints, if you'd like to hop in on that, please Cash do. Brett-Wiseman on Cash App. Yes, uh, the, a QR code will be in your emails momentarily. Um, that's going to do it. On that note, uh, for James Wilson, everybody here at TRSR, I'm Brett Wiseman. Um, 
Enjoy the weekend.